Hi there, I'm Portia Stewart, and I'm a creativity consultant with Mindful Creatives. Okay, the coolest, first of all, the creativity consultant. So I totally want to dig into that. So you, but you're creative and you're a creativity consultant. That means you got to call yourself anything you wanted. You could be creative. You could have come up with one of those bullcrap masthead things they put on where people, instead of being chief marketing officer, they're like, idea guru wizard and then the person who does seo is like they're the gandalf of search engine optimization you could have come up with some crazy how did you pick creativity consultant for your new career path so that's a really good question and probably a couple of things came to mind is i knew i really wanted to work with corporate clients mm-hmm. so i knew that consultant was the word that they're most familiar with as somebody okay. who's hired consultants it was a pretty easy choice for me to go Okay. I think I'm going to stay on the level here. Wait, you still there? Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Uh, did you, do you have thought, did you have thoughts about whether you were a creative consultant or a creativity consultant? Or you could have, again, you could have made up some word like creative, you could have create, create inspiration, create inspiration. You could have made up a marketable term and then put a TM on it. Did you put, did you have to put a lot of thought? Am I overthinking I, the name of your job? No, actually. So that's funny because I took, it, it's, it's, a, it, it's actually really what happened is I had to spend a lot of time thinking, and it was just, it feels kind of stupid. To, I, I mean, I felt like, ah, oh, why can't I figure out what I want to call myself? But um, one of the activities, I took a business course last um, last fall to get launched. And the, it was it was very much, hey, you can call yourself a CEO, you can call yourself, but you need to figure out what you're going to call yourself. And um, I don't really like anything too pretentious. And I, I love puns and I love being fun and funny, but I really, um, I really wanted to connect with the people. What I was always thinking about the people who would potentially hire me and they've probably a little bit more straight. And then I have more fun with, uh, so not that they're not creative, but when you work with the creative teams, you can call yourself a guru or whatever. And and they're like, they think it's fun and funny, but connecting with those um, business CEOs and those, um, those decision makers, they tend to really um, focus on um, it's, I, I meet with these different companies and all these VPs and the senior VPs, and it means different things for different organizations, but they get really in their heads about these, these titles. Right. Yeah. Um, and it, and it's, um, it's almost uh, futile. I think, I don't know. And not futile, <laughs> but futile, like F E U D A L. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Like we're, uh, we're all a little med- medieval in, in those corporations. And some of them are kind of run in a way that you're like, wow, I do, I do sort of feel the, you feel the servant class a little bit uh that makes a lot of sense and uh i I, um the other thing is i don't know if you've noticed but out there with consultants and stuff or when when you have the chance to name yourself i think there is kind of you name yourself something for you but i think you're right about look am i making a name for myself and then it just needs to please me or am i really want to go out and help people and if i want to go out and help people then i need to think about what i do how it matches up to what they want. I can still do all the things I want to do, but maybe I need to put it in a slightly, make sure it's in a calmer, more understandable outer shell. Right. Right. I just want like people who stumble across me on LinkedIn, they say, Oh, I I think I kind of know what a consultant is. So maybe I can work backward and figure out what she does. (laughs) 
Okay, right. Then you just say, I'm a creativity consultant. Okay, so they are familiar with consultant because they have consultants in at their company companies at different times all the time doing many, many different things, brought in for many, many different things. So what does a creativity consultant do? Either what you've seen out in the world or you're like, I'm kind of in this new class of people nobody would be familiar with. What, what does a creativity consultant do? So I, I knew that that word creative and creativity was something that um, it, it, it has been a bit of a buzzword. You know, like yeah. we talked about innovation or data first or digital, all of those words that we've become buzzwords. But it was something that now is very much listed. If you're looking for your top executives, you know, you are looking for creativity. And I'm not necessarily talking about the, hey, I paint on the side, although that can be a level of creativity and maybe you do, but it's just about thinking differently. And that's about shaking up that old thinking and the old, you know, cycles that get us the same results and and getting to a new place. And it was born out of my own frustration. Um, uh, Working with, um, working in places where maybe they didn't connect the strategy of the company um, with with the creatives and the innovate the innovators the, the people that they hired yeah. to solve problems and seeing that disconnect that they were really working just more on that you know when they separate those things and they're not synced up uh, you have frustrated team members who have great ideas and and I should say from the onset like everybody is creative um, what I want to do is bring that creativity of everybody out in activities and workshops and through this consulting and help people start to think differently because I worked in I worked with groups where you see the word brainstorm and everybody gets hives right <laughs> but that, because as a creative person you um or an, or anybody who's making things or 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 kind of those knowledge workers you're told your value is in what you produce and not necessarily you know if if you work something in the service industry, you're, you might be in an hourly situation, whereas your creative knowledge worker is being judged on metrics that are a little fuzzier um, and what I, you make and what you, what, what you ultimately produce. Okay. So given that there is a pitch that, so kind of the word, we talked a little bit about consultant creativity, given that there's a pitch that I think you, I like the way you kind of framed it somewhere in there where you said kind of obviously creativity is for everyone and everyone is creative. And so I feel like there's these two paths and they're cut apart and split apart in our thinking. One is creativity is if you are creative in anything you do. So do you brainstorm an idea? Do you try to figure out whether the door should be blue or yellow and you think about it and you come up with different options? I mean, that could be very creative. And the, and the way you do laundry could be very creative. The way you walk could be very creative. And then also on the other side, there's the creative class. These are the people whose job it is to produce um, visuals, graphics, art, websites from nothing. So these are people who conjure things from nothing as opposed to just people who are thinking about quote unquote creative solutions. So when you go and do this creativity, how do those two paths do, do they diverge? Are they all wound together? The creative class, are those the people you work with? Or do you really kind of have this vision that I want to talk about creative creativity with everyone in a wider way in a company? Maybe you're trying to do both. Maybe that's too big a question. Go ahead. That's exactly right. And um, I, I historically tended to work with 
the creative teams, the writers, the graphic designers. But um, more and more, I saw the opportunity uh, that, you know, the innovative thinking that gets you to the next product that you need to create to help the customer, that's creative thinking. And it's really about, and, and you do need multiple stakeholders in the room. And, and I don't think always those executives feel super comfortable um, or maybe have the language or, or even the time and space to have the right conversations to pull out all of that, the great ideas that are just sitting in, in their existing labor pool, the people who are actually interacting with the product and the customers. Yeah. So giving them an, that time and space. And that's something um, we're asking in almost every business out there, we are asking people to think creatively to solve problems for the customer. And it's not, it's not necessarily coming up with a new product or service. It might be, uh, but it's really about figuring out that pain point. And you see this, um, it's called different language. We use different language depending on uh, what industry we're in. But Mm -hmm. I know in a lot of more technical, like engineers and such, they're going to talk about design thinking, right? And co-creation. And that's, that's just, again, asking these people who are smart um, at what they do, like maybe I'm a coder, how do I understand what I'm, the person I'm serving? I need to empathize with them. I need to understand their point of view. Um, a lot of these activities are kind of like interviewing, um, like, like interviewing somebody for an article or something where you try to understand the user's perspective and where their pain points are. And that once you have that framework, that's where I think we often break down. And that's one of the, um, one client uh, that I fired, I fired because they wanted to <laughs> skip, they wanted to skip all that. And I said, if you don't want to, d- to know who you're creating for, if, if you don't want to ask them, if you don't want to take the time to ask them and to experiment before you ever get to the making, you just want to move right to making, then this is not, um, you know, this is not going to work. Um, you can do that, but you're not going to benefit from, from the opportunity. Um, you're just putting, you're putting a lot, of, you're investing a lot of time in something that potentially could fail when you have the opportunities to fail small and make the thing the customer really wants. And that's, that's a lot of what I hear is like, they're, they, they're usually breaking down and actually making the thing the customer wants. Is well, that's super interesting. I can see, you know, creativity, you know, when we said brainstorming, like we all, that is a tight little moment of, we're going to invite everyone together. We're going to mention that we have a problem, or we're going to mention we want ideas about something. And we're going to try to come up with a bunch of ideas. That's like just one little sliver of this giant creative process. But I think when people think of creativity, they think, I need to come up with new ideas. I need to come up with new. And that's, so that's their vision is that, but what you're talking about, like it are obviously some places like, start using it they start using iteration like a verb like instead of iterative or it we're iterating these are iterations and i feel like some of that is what you're talking about which is don't you want to try things and see if your end goal is a thing that is successful to sell or use for this group don't you want to make sure like that actually works and you're saying some people they just want to come up with a plan of action and execute the plan of action and they don't want to test they don't want that testing phase that's exactly right. And I think it's, um, there's this book called Be Less Zombie. It's by a, a gentleman called Elvin Turner. And I, it's one of the books that I have really enjoyed as I was starting to form, like, form my thinking on this topic. Mm-hmm. And, and 
one of the things he says is about almost like 54% is the, uh, 54% of businesses just admit that they are not aligning their business and innovation with their strategy. They, they just, they'll, they'll privately, when he, when he goes out to consult, they're just candid. We are just doing revenue goals for 12 months. Yeah. And we're not taking the time to really understand. And, and that's, you know, you, you look at companies that do that and they're on the path to be stagnant and be obsolete versus um, one example he gives is if you're really trying to solve a problem for a customer, you're going to take the, the Netflix past path. And that's where you, um, if you remember Netflix, originally they sent out DVDs, right? You, you get yes. your DVD in the mail and you watch it on a hard copy. And if they'd stuck with that business model, um, not very many people have VCRs in their house right now or, or DVD players or, you know, that, that medium, while it still exists, it's not the product there. They, they worried about how they were going to solve the problem for the customer. Yeah. And I think if more people, um, the more people do that, the more, um, the more closer they are on that path to innovation. Is it those examples that people give of companies that t- seem to change in a wild way or took a huge risk and it paid off when you kind of go look at this creativity stuff is when, so a company comes out and says, we are not aligned. Our strategy is here. Our day-to-day innovation is here. And the two don't mesh up because we, our bigger strategy is just these sort of bland goals about, it's just a number. We don't have like a huge mission to grow our company into something different. Is that, I mean, it's just inherently scary. The Netflix move was Netflix at some point, they either intuited that this would be more fun or the customer would want it more. So then there was kind of, yay, this is cool. We got to do this. Or they're like, our country, our company is going to die. Or maybe that, yeah. Or did they think that this is, we need to grow and change as a company, but that's scary. They took a risk. So in risk-taking in this, when you say people's strategy and bottom line uh, tactics might be out of alignment and the innovation isn't connecting the two, is it easy to connect those or are there such fear-based worries about what those new changes would mean? Like that's a huge change. We ship out DVDs and now you want us to have, we're going to switch to digital and we don't do digital. We have a website that tells people what DVDs they can get and we ship them out to them. That's it you could wreck your company on the shoals of history by doing that. So do you like, do you feel like part of your thing is talking people into the fact that they need to do that or you're just more open to that as a possible path for them? I think a lot of companies sort of, they instinctively know they have to grow their business. Like in in the media world that I came from, we were pretty convinced that our print was going to go away. So it was always finding out different versions of what could be successful and and um, I don't know the exact path that Netflix took, but I know they'll all like for a lot of companies, if the if the top execs are doing their job, they're actually spending a significant, you know, whether it's I dedicate an hour or two, half an hour, four hours each week to just think about what the future is going to bring. And I'm going to investigate by talking to customers or um, looking at the research or looking at um, if you think about. Uh, like a business model canvas where you look at all the key areas that you need to be true for you to have your, you know, your business. Yeah. That, that thing that you create when you are a startup, if you look at that role model map, like if you can't anticipate some of those things changing and going away, if that's not 
part of what you're doing each week, you're probably um, not on the right path, right? So that, that you'd really have to be thinking about what percent of the business you're enhancing, what part you're extending into new markets, and what type, what what percentage you're going to commit yourself to experimenting. And um, I mean, the, the smartest people out there talk about how everybody in your company should be experimenting all the time. Um, you know, you have to make sure that the experiments are fair uh, and you got to accept that most of them are going to fail. But what you're getting out of that is the learning, right? You don't, you don't necessarily need, and you're like, I hate the minimal, minimally viable product, but let's call it... <laughs> Let's let's use that like that that tiniest way yeah. you can experiment the lean startup way of take tackling that try it watch it fail twist it try it again fail 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 until you get to a, a place where you see all the ways it didn't work and then maybe you do open the door to what is going to work. Is there okay? So now I want to I now that we talked a little bit about strategy, let's just bounce back. So. As an exercise, if you were to go in hypothetically, like maybe just cold, you know, this is a place where innovation is, um, sure, there are some people trying to be innovative, but they get a lot of pushback because it's going to cost too much resources. And honestly, who, who, it's the rare person who shows up at work and says, I want to fail. I want to fail over and over until I have a huge success. That is not usually how most people's psyches seem to be happy. They don't like, so then you have to create sort of a safe space for that kind of weirdness to happen. So if you show up to a company and you know, it's the average company that struggles with innovation, I don't know, what's like one of the first things you've like hoped to deploy or you have deployed and, and what does it do to people's thinking? So maybe just give an example of like a, an exercise you might use. Right. And so um, I'm thinking about some of the examples. In some cases you have people who know each other and they already have existing relationships. Okay. And sometimes you're connecting you know, there's one company I worked with where I knew everybody, but the people in the room who would be creating the experiment didn't know the other people. They're not, they're not sure this isn't somebody I brought in. Right. Right. So <laughs> even within a company, it's possible you don't know the other people you need to connect to, to, to see if your idea is actually going to work. And there is a fear when, um, when you, when you come into that room, you're being asked to do something um, that's outside your comfort zone. Uh, in front of people that you pay, possibly don't know. And that's uh, for somebody who's more on my side of introversion, I'm probably <laughs> going to be quiet, right? Yeah. And so you have to do a lot. That's one of the biggest problems you have in those circumstances is there are people in the room who have great ideas that, who, who first of all, don't like to be ambushed. Uh, the brainwash, brainwashing of, or brain um, storming ambush. Mm-hmm is is one of the worst experiences for for anybody who really likes um to come up with really cool stuff because you you didn't get a chance to actually think about it oh so um, well let's talk okay then um so first we can set up the counterpoint to something that might be a little better the typical thing is a boss or someone so even if everything is super happy we got donuts everyone's super happy guys I just want you to dream things dream things everyone shows up not really doing prep work. So they all show up and then the people that don't think well on their feet or they need time to process their ideas never come out. And so you get the loud people who just try to fill the space. I mean, what's the, op- what's the opposite of that? 
Exactly. So um, one of the first things I say is you have to start by giving people homework. And it can't be overwhelming homework, right? Because um, everybody's, <laughs> your people who are internal, are they have full-time jobs and they don't really have, we're not resourcing in a lot of companies to give people time to think. Right. So you have to have a small ask, come in with three ideas. Um, and even that's a lot. But, but giving those people, giving your people a little bit of time to chew on something before they come in and making sure that everybody's coming in on the even playing field. Um, environment counts a lot. A lot of times it's really best to have this off, off-site out of your standard, you know, there's, there's an environmental history in your office um, and, and changing it up can, can really help just because it takes away some of that kind of lingering, um, uh, it, you know, just the natural environment of, oh, somebody always sits at the front of the table and I'm yeah. off here and, and creating a safe space in that way. Uh, then what I often find, and this is no surprise, you might think you have the question everybody's trying to solve, but not everybody agrees. So, um, I like to start with what I call question storming because it really asks, it pings against what is the problem we're really trying to solve. And it gets the group to agreement um, because uh, I've been in this circumstance so many times. So-and-so thinks we're trying to solve this problem. So-and-so says the same words, but it doesn't mean the same thing to them. And, <laughs> and coming to the agreement about the problem you're actually trying to solve um, and unselfishly too, right? Um, something that's good for the whole business and not just good for my my category of the business or my group or whoever I think I like, but that is actually really, really good for the whole business. So I usually start with a question storming and push people to really think about, you know, that back to that old saying, a problem well stated is is a problem half solved. So start with really getting down and nailing down what you're really trying to solve. If have you already encountered either when you when uh, you were working internally in companies and now as as you're out um, working with companies that you are not full time or part time employees of that you really are coming in as a consultant. Some of those situations are um, they're just misunderstandings and people need to be reminded what the overall goal of the company is and that as you, we all look at these options and we decide which path do we want to try first or whatever, even though that path doesn't touch on your department much, everybody wants to peacock. Everybody wants, they want to be involved. Some people, they really, they feel insecure. They want to be involved in the new plan. When you get people together to talk about big picture vision and strategy, when you've spent an entire time at a company, having people having to think about their own little, as you, I mean, you mentioned feudal, their own, their own little kingdom. Um, that just sounds like the hardest push. So the very first thing you're talking about is getting people to ask the right question. There just there would be people in there who actively resist, would actively that they're worried about their position in the company. They're worried about their department. If we come up with an option that feels like the company is going to grow in a different direction, that feels threatening. Have you already encountered that that oh, yeah. feeling people's fears? So what happens in those moments when you can see this bubble up in this? So usually it's a fear of, I'm going to be asked to do something. This, this is more work. I'm already full. Okay. Um, this is going to somehow take away my resources. Maybe I will not be needed. Yes. Um, maybe it'll reveal things about 
um, that, that don't look good for me. Uh, so, I mean, again, back to that creating that safe space and, and identifying from the very beginning, we're going to run an experiment. And the hardest part and how I've seen it work is getting people, ex turning that anxiety into excitement. We're doing this to see. We don't have the answer, but we're going to experiment in this direction. And a lot of times the experiments are to help everybody here. Is there something, if we stopped you know, producing this e-newsletter for a month yeah. and instead, you know, did, um, um, did a monthly top articles instead of a daily, you know, one article or, or whatever that idea is yeah. and the experimentation. Um, and then you come back and, oh, it didn't work, but okay. So that didn't work. What is it? What did we learn from it? And a lot of times they get so excited about, we're actually going to measure the performance of something we have produced, which doesn't happen as much as it should. Um, and that's scary uh, because you're, you're paying this person to produce something. Now, now the other part of that is what, what I usually say to them is like, if we decide to stop do the, doing this thing, that gives us room to go do something else. So this isn't about like downsizing the company. Um, it's about right, right sizing uh, the workload and also putting putting people's time to the things that actually make money uh, because there are a lot of, I, I, I love analytics and I love it when they tell us <laughs> that something isn't viable so we can stop doing it. <laughs> and that's, that's a, I mean, you gotta, you gotta start there. You gotta start with what you're not going to do. Does that mean that if you're, I guess, yeah, you know what, that, that makes a lot of sense because I think a lot of the times either people have had bosses or been in environments with their peers where when you're brainstorming, you're really in, if we're testing something that currently, if we have something we think is successful, but we haven't tested it, but we need to go in, now we're going to go test it. Some people would be really excited about that. Like, this is awesome. I get to find out if this is actually working or not. And then other people would be like, but we've done this for five years. And if we don't do this, I don't know what else am I going to do? It, it does sound scary. And I know some companies, even though you said right-sizing, some companies do in fact downsize once they figure out, you know what? I don't think this is firing into the bottom line. I think we get rid of this. We don't have any place to move these people around. Could you see in those places that are very compartmentalized into kingdoms, I don't know if you have already to go in and do this creativity work if it just feels fraught and like you can't even get past that first, you can't even create the safe space. So do you have to go in a different direction or do you keep pushing on that until you can get it or you fire those people? I don't know. Yeah, that's a great question. And I have absolutely worked with places where the object was always to identify ways to shrink <laughs> the team. So, you know, and those, you have to be, you have to be able to identify those places and then you have to know um, you have to take a different approach there. You're not necessarily going to advertise um, the things you helped stop do because the team stopped doing because that potentially that, that si signals, Hey, this person has more bandwidth and then some other person is going to come up with something to fill their time. Right? right. And what we're really trying to do is, is focus the team, um, you know, on, on the things that they know bring value. And, and honestly, the biggest barrier to getting people to brainstorm is often the fear that if I come up with this idea, you're going to make me do it. 
So it's back to that resourcing. And if you're working with a company that's not willing to resource for this, then, uh, you know, they're, they've got a lot of challenges. It's, um, it's, it's time and space. And if you don't give time and space, you're not going to come up with change. You're just going to get the same results you you have year after year. Well, now I think I'm, I love that perspective because I think my perspective, I was again, walking down the, uh, the sinister boss with the, uh, the stogie in his mouth, who's just looking for ways to cut, but you've identified correctly. If they really wanted to cut you, a lot of you, the people would already be gone. If we're going to cut something, we we're going to dream up new stuff and no, 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 we still want you to do all this other stuff. So the boss is like you, that's why you're still there. So then if you operate from that point, and now I see, right, the next worst fear, other than losing your job, because what you do won't matter, is they're just going to give you more stuff. And then either you're going to become more stressed, or you're going to have so many things to do, you're going to start failing on things. And that would be terrible too. If places have that culture, if that has happened before, if people have been there for five or 10 years, and they've been through this creativity cycle where people think of new stuff and then it causes problems. Have you run into places where they they know that they've had that problem in the past or you kind of suss that out as people talk and you're like, uh-oh, they've tried this before and this one this time is going to have to be different, but maybe they haven't had that modeled for them yet. Yeah, and so uh, it's, it's funny because you can feel it. Well, first you feel it because there's a resistance to ideas that are, you're looking at the team and thinking you should be very excited about this, but I'm hearing, I feel the pushback. And usually the next thing they say to me is, Oh, so-and-so told us to do that three years ago. You sound just like so-and-so, right. And that person has come and gone. And, and um, it's, um, you know, your first thing is, wow, I identified somebody else out there in the world. I, I'd like to go meet, right. I don't know the so-and-so you're talking about, but they have great ideas. <laughs> I like the way they think. And, um, and then you have people who's, who um, are frustrated because they knew that was the right. A lot of times, a lot of times the team, if, if, if it was a good idea and it worked, they wanted to continue doing it. It, it was just not within their bandwidth. Yeah. And um, sometimes as a consultant, now internally, they can go fight for that and probably not going to be heard. When you go and take the step of hiring a consultant, uh, you get heard in a different way. So that's where I sometimes I feel like really what I'm doing is advocating for for people uh, because I probably don't say anything different than what they would say to the boss, but the boss um, is looking for an outside perspective uh, and he's going to hear or she's going to hear me louder than than their internal team. And that's I mean, I've been there. It's frustrating if that's if that's the circumstance you're in. Um, but. And sometimes, sometimes it's true. Like sometimes they even hear you as a consultant and don't execute. And that's the most frustrating thing of all, but then you have to just, um, you have to learn to accept that part of it too. Um, I remember, uh, so we both come out of veterinary and I remember somebody who has a really awesome practice manager. And then she went out into consulting. And then I remember her talking about one of the most frustrating parts of consulting for her was she would, people would pay her a lot of money, a practice owner, or a handful of practice owners would pay her a lot of money to come into a practice and help them look at all the stuff and talk to all their people and figure out what needs to get done. And everybody nods their head and says, yes. And the consultant leaves. And then the, either people were, if everyone was well-intentioned, we'll just assume that 
people are just too busy to execute these new ideas and they fall away and the change doesn't happen. And these people paid you a bunch of money to come in and change something because they're having a problem. And ultimately they didn't solve the problem. So already mentally, are you kind are you cool with like, I'm fine knowing that's going to happen. Or do you internally like, boy, I'm going to do everything I can because that's going to grind my gears awfully. If I know I'm going out and doing stuff, but then the people either don't intend cannot or don't intend to execute, or I don't know, we don't all get them across the finish line. Yeah. So um, I have a client who I, uh, the minute I heard the direction they were wanting to go, I'm, I'm saying, I don't think that's right, but let's, let's do research, <laughs> research, data, interviews, all the things. Okay. And uh, worked with a business, um, an MBA to come up with the numbers, run the numbers, have the presentation. This person still wants to follow their idea. They want to see it fail. I'm happy to run that experiment. I'm happy they're at least getting to the end, right? We and then and then what I hope is when we what we learn from the end of that, it's going to help twist to get to the next thing that we pivot. Um, so my my um, my job is less to judge. I mean, I, you use your common sense and such, but if there's an experiment that they need to run to see how it plays out and it's not um, going to damage the business, if you do it in that, that minimally viable experiment phase, it's fine to carry it through till it ends. And I do get frustrated if they don't want to do the experiment. Um, And what I really want to push them for is not just to do the work, the consulting work, um, but that they develop habits as a team to continue. You have to have the ownership of the project and you have to continue to meet regularly to talk about the future. It's the future is changing all the time. If you make a business plan today, uh, it should look different in a year, very different. And, and it's probably changing faster than that. So if you're just not really um, spending the time as a team. So if I can get them at least that far where that they understand they need to invest time to think about um, the business and do those experiments. That's a win. This is probably too early because um, we, uh, we were together for a while in one workplace and that environment you're talking about where if you want to slowly tack and you get to know people for not months, but years, and you get to sit in there and you have kind of internal frustrations, but also internal controls and familiarity where you can kind of carry a long-term thing. You know, you as a consultant come in for a period of time and you're asking people to change, you know, their meeting styles and the cadence of their meetings. And you need to think about this business plan. You kind of set it and forget it. Obviously you all know intuitively and logically you can't set it and forget it, but you're so busy. You can't go back and you're gonna have to make time for the strategy. And when they peel out of your creativity, your consulting time is up at that time. I could just imagine the rubber band snaps back. It does very quickly, very quickly. So then <laughs> okay. you just have to commit them to, um, you know, hopefully follow-up meetings okay. um, and, and check-ins. And um, if, if they're not willing to do that with you, then you hope you have created some internal champions. And I've seen that happen too, where, it may be not everything that you, you um, pushed for, uh, you know, it snapped back, but there were a few people who kept something going. Right. Yeah. And, and that's exciting too. I mean, um, little changes over time, habits of, 
hey, we now look regularly at our analytics after an e-newsletter sends, right? And we see um, what we measure what was doing well and we adjust. Uh, you know, that's that's maybe a little thing, but for the long-term health of the product, it's it can be big. Uh, can I ask, so if we are talking about creative stuff, we kind of sat around in the same stew looking at that stuff. And I think being totally open-minded to gather the information and try to figure things out. And I think overall, we all kind of agreed oftentimes it was difficult to tell why one thing worked and another didn't like the glaring green lights and the, the horrifying red lights about a project. A lot of times there's disagreement about, well, what, what would constitute a win? And is, is it kind of fuzzy and ambiguous? And so we could understand, we could disagree about, does the data mean this or does it mean that? When you talk about setting these experiments, I often, when we, when we did creative experiments, it sometimes was hard to say, well, was it because we didn't market it this way? Was it because we didn't market it that way? Was it because there was something wrong with the piece of content or the, the product? Or was it just not the right time in the market? And sifting through that, there was disagreement. So when somebody sets up a test like this, so they come up with ideas and they decide, let's work on this one for a while. Have you been there long enough to see what happens as consulting where you come around the back end and it, that actually the question about whether it worked or didn't is kind of, is kind of a little amorphous and fuzzy? Well, I definitely, I'm thinking back to some of the internal uh, experiments uh, I ran and I did see the, one of the first things that we really started with was agreeing about what the metrics were. Okay. And that is, in my opinion, the hardest part. And that's that first initial setting the experiment so it's fair. Yeah. And so everybody agrees what we're measuring and what we consider to be success and then keeping people honest. And that, um, that was very hard. Um, and I mean that it's, it's not, it's never motivated and I've not seen it motivated in a bad way, but, um, as you know, when different people look at data, they, they may make snap judgments and you may not be looking at the whole picture or the way even it's pulled can matter. And I got to tell you, I, I had some of the best time sitting down with um, my e-media analyst and looking at the data and just maybe spending hours trying to figure out why that number is that way yeah. and what else we need to test. But in those experiments, we didn't find clear answers right away. Um, it often pointed us to other factors we had not considered would influence the experiment. So there was adjustment, adjustment, adjustment. So that's where you get back to that kind of constant exploration instead of this is starting on today and we're going to know the results in 90 days. It might start today. You might have your check-in. You might have to revise the metrics. You might have to revise how you're testing and your experiment might go on for years, which sounds scary, but actually I think that's a really successful one is where you're um, constantly evolving it and think about the knowledge that you have about that particular thing, like, you know, one of the experiments we ran was about whether breaking news or long-term content yeah. um, was more valuable uh, on, on our website. And uh, that was one that had a lot of emotion behind it. You have, you know, the, you might feel personally about which one is successful uh, and you have different stakeholders, including people who are um, placing ads. So running those fairly and um, 
and then constantly iterating. Okay, so we we tested, you know, this type of long form evergreen content. Now let's try this one. And this breaking news, you know, went accidentally viral. So it flew off all of the charts <laughs> right. and messes up the numbers and you have to go figure out like the other piece of that. Um, so I guess, I guess that I, I really go back to just making sure that everybody agrees on the metrics and that first, um, that first bit is the hardest. What about in the situation? So I feel like when, um, and this may have been true at your, the second major company after you, after you left the company we worked at, um, it's seldom a single metric. So there's a number of considerations. So we would do things that were fun for people and didn't cost many resources, but they liked doing, and maybe it'll hit some time and maybe it won't. And then other things were, God, we all agree we don't want to do this, but the audience loves it. And so we care about the audience. And so one fed you in one way, one fed in another way. It's like, there's all these ways to be fed, but you know, there's some people who are a little more uni emotional or univalent where, you know, some people are focused completely on the customer. Who cares what we do? I don't understand why we're arguing about this. Who cares what we want to do? The customer, which we love, wants this. So let's just give it to them. And then other people would push back. No, it needs to be more of a mix. And the people on the far end of the other spectrum might be, I like doing things that I like to do. And if that fits in with what the company wants to do, great. And when it doesn't, I'm walking. Have you encountered that? So I've encountered that in the companies. We a company. Have you encountered that in consulting yet? You can see that play out in the room. Are they that sometimes people that far away about what they're trying to get out of this job or what they're thinking about these projects? Oh yeah. And I'm, I mean, to the extreme of um, maybe the executive isn't even really sure what the product is, who makes the product, what it looks like has never um, used the product (laughs) (laughs) to, um, uh, and, and I'm, I'm telling the the executive about their product and um, versus the opposite end of that spectrum is that that person who has worked on that product for 20 years yeah, and they have a passion for that product and they have a love of that product and they love the way that their audience engages with that product. And they can be <clears throat> difficult in, in ways too, because they are so convinced they know that product. They right. may not listen to the evidence of who the user is now. Um, they may, they also remember how we were resourced differently when we produced said product. Um, and, you know, we, I worked with people who uh, are creating products that are hundreds of years old and um, obviously look a lot different today than they did when they were first developed. So, uh, you know, sometimes it's just about looking to the past and saying, uh, well, we, we had to change then we had to flex it. Let's, Let's remember that our job is a steward of this product, but but product in the loosest term, because what they're really trying to do is help their customer. Yeah. Um, so if they get too tied into what the product looks like, and I mean, let's just say it's a print magazine. If you get so in love with the way it looks, you may miss the opportunity to serve your ne- your next generation because they they don't engage with that. They engage with you in, you know, 14 other ways. Did you show up as a young creative out of school in your first, um, first creative jobs? Did you show up with the perspective where you were getting most of your jollies and your happiness out of 
doing something for the audience or were you much more sort of create artistically um, self-reference referencing? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. So, um, you know, obviously I came right into B2B and I didn't know the audience very well, but I just, I, a lot of it was um, being inspired by the people I was talking to yeah. uh, to learn more. So I just remember the day um, that I talked to a consultant and I, I sat up and said, I think we're in business because veterinarians need help running their small businesses. Yeah. And that sounds silly, but I was a, you know, 20 something just out of school. And like that revelation is like super exciting. Like, Oh, I now understand our reason for being. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, I think I have the, all the different outlets to make the thing that pleases me the most in any way I want. Um, so I guess I would say very much, I was driven by trying to make the right thing for the audience in that, in that case, because I had other outlets, like, you know, I, I really enjoyed writing and, and still do. And, you know, that's for me, um, you know, any, any sort of, so, but, but I, I'm going to say, I, I ruthlessly will try to combine things that I like. Uh, <laughs> and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but, um, you know, like, Oh, I, I really like doodling. Let's see if I can somehow incorporate that into my job. Right. Uh, and again, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And, and being aware of your audience, it's it's, you know, whether or not they're receptive to, to whatever is your passion. Yeah. I, I always, I felt kind of like these two energies swirling as I got near the, uh, spending a lot of time with a particular audience. And I, I did feel those two energies swirling of, this is the stuff that's fun for me. And this is the stuff they need. And I just felt like those two things in the best possible situation are kind of in balance. And that, so if people show up for brainstorming, they're always of two energy minds. One is I really like doing these things. And the other is these things really help these other people. So like a caring for yourself and a caring for these other people, but for creatives, I feel like they have to be balanced because if one or the, I have experienced in, in certain things you have to let go of, it's great that you want to do this, but it's not working. You know, this is the way you want to do things and it's a good way, but it's not working with these people in this moment. Or opposite, where people come and say, these people want you to do this. And you're like, oh, this is the dumbest thing. This is the most boring thing. We've already done this a million times before. How can we have to do this? And the answer is, well, don't you care about these people? It's like getting up every morning and you know feeding your kid breakfast. You want your audience to be fed in the morning, right? Well, then we're going to feed right. it in the morning. That's what they need. Exactly. And resourcing for that, if, if it is something that your advertisers are going to pay for and your users need, uh, that's there's really the best thing you can do is figure out how to do it easily and the way you can enjoy it the most right Right. (laughs) or outsource it i mean the resourcing now i i i like to oh you don't feel passionate about uh you know writing that type of thing let's let's outsource it and when that is possible that's um but i i I will go back again and i'm gonna say this like i just hammer at it but uh i now worked with a number of different companies and I haven't entered one where I don't hear the same thing. Um, I have a lot on my plate. I don't have time for meaningful innovation. 
Yeah. Uh, I have to, I have to be the steward of the products on my list right now. And um, I, we know we need to grow in that direction. Um, but it, 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 you know, it has to be resourced and it has to be resourced. Um, you know, hi, hiring outside can help hiring some consultants to potentially pivot. And maybe you give your, if you know, you need those people on the innovation team, hire somebody to go do their job for a while while they go do the creation. Um, it doesn't have to be bringing in um, outside talent to, to innovate. Uh, you probably have the right people in the room, uh, but they can't do it by themselves. So you have to support them. So I want to, that, I, that leads me to a thing I did want to ask you about your opinion on um, a company large enough decides they need innovation. And I feel like the go-to, the easiest path is not to go dig into the people who have worked there a long time and have set ways of doing things. And of course there's innovation. They're the smartest. They know your customers the best. They've been right. around the longest. They're your smartest people. It's way easier if you have enough money to build a, to build a, an office and then hire people and tell them they're going to do the innovation. I mean, I see it happening even with new companies where new companies hire people for innovation. And I'm just like, what? I don't understand how you compartmentalize creativity and innovation that way. I understand how an outside force could paratroop in like you and set new, help the people who are there do this. And your idea there about well, if this person's the smartest person, you got to find a way to get them basically an innovation sabbatical so they can go work on this and have time, whether it's part-time or full-time. But this thing about hiring people from outside to drop in and be innovation, do you have a strong opinion one way or the other about that? I have a very strong opinion. <laughs> okay. And, and, and then I'm going to bring it from two places. And the first one is um, I, I really always get concerned. In my experience, anytime I started a job, you start off the first few weeks and you think, gosh, I don't have a lot to do. I have all this thinking time. Yeah. By the end, you have, you've been on so many different committees. You have all this. So the difference between like, say my work day as a consultant and my work day um, as a full-time employee was I have 30 people to manage. I, um, so guess what? You know, there's all this hidden stuff in the day, all, all the meetings that you get called in for all of the, um, that, that automatically happens when you're a full-time employee. Um, the different assignments, then you got you have to be on this committee and you're traveling and, um, and you just find your days getting sapped away. So that creative innovation time, you know, you, whether you like it or not, there are monthly reports you're putting together and, you know, you're doing all of the HR things and your employees, if you're managing them right, should be taking. And I, so I think that's a full-time job. So conversely, could you do that without any of it? Like one of the first things we do with somebody who's really good at what they do is we yeah. give them em employees. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, you get good enough I, to manage. Right. Right. You get good enough to manage. But I have, I've read and I've seen it done where if we unhook the, I pro, my progression has to be tied to having employees. I think you'd probably set that person up better automatically. Okay. You want this person to be internal you have to safeguard, you, you have to put a wall around this person to make sure that your salespeople aren't going to sneak their projects in and, and this division and that division. So if you're going to take that approach, you need to separate and 
that person should dive into that into your teams, but you have to separate them a little bit and in, in a protection form, because um, what happens is they come in with these great ideas that you told them that you're going to support and they're right. going to go change your company in these three big ways. And then you're constantly sidetracking them with the, just this one more thing and one more thing and one more thing. <laughs> and uh, I've seen that happen too. You know, people who were brought on, even with no, like I said, I do not want direct reports. That's, that's going to kill. I, I, I'm just good at what I do. And I want to do it really well. We should make a path for those people. Now here on the other side, as a consultant, I get to um, say no all the time, right? That's yeah, right. <laughs> I'm trying, I can, you know, uh, you know, not not doing all the admin things. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, if I decide this afternoon, I just need to see here and stare out the window and think deeply. Um, I, as long as I've met my other deadlines, that's fine. Uh, but I'm not going to be taking a call from, um, you know from 60 people who need something from me, um, as a, as in a manager or, um, you know, uh, all the different distractions you have in the office. And again, I, I think it's possible, but I think you have to be very strict about how that person experiences your company. Have you ever seen if new people are brought in, if everybody dreams up a new project and new people are brought in to do it, are there ever a situation where you've heard from people you've consulted with that the people who are there and are saddled with all this work already, they bring in new blood to go do this new thing that sounds totally cool. And the people have been there longer who are trusted to do very complex things that are not this new project are pissed that all the innovation and creativity happens in this new place with the new people and they're required to sort of hold the old properties over here. Oh, sure. Okay. And I think that's, that's absolutely, um, that's one of the things that will probably help you lose your creative team fastest is when they feel like um, you're bringing in new blood all the time. And a lot of times, if you talk to the um, people who've been there for a while, they've had that same idea that that new person was brought on to do and been ignored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, um, and it's hard because those people who've been there for a long time, they're your most loyal um, you know, 10, 15 years they worked, they understand the brands, um, you know, and, and in that circumstance, why aren't you partnering those two people together, right? Oh, hey, we brought this person in to be a resource, split the fun stuff and, <laughs> uh, you know, use, lever like, leverage your, your existing employees. They are smart. They deserve to be rewarded. Yeah. And um, it also makes them feel like there's no place for them to grow. And as you mentioned, there is that manage, I mean, management track. I, I feel like in most companies, um, the doers are different than the managers. And over time, if you want to make more money and be more successful, you must do more manage and less do. And that's just how you are. You need to oversee. Um, whereas I see there are other places, maybe they're small enough, maybe they're innovative enough. There's a mix of things. So would you actually pitch? At the end of the day, would you tell people, or do you tell people when you go in to do this creativity consulting, if you want this to stick, you need to somehow mandate that they're going to spend like 3M style. Somebody brought up 3M about how they mandate X hours, either X percentage of your work week or X hours. 
you spend on strategy in the future and these projects that are these brainstormed projects, trying to come up with new stuff and play with these things outside your regular job. And we are giving you clear mandate, boom, time for this. Or do you think it's, you can manage that so many different ways. You don't have to come in and set up a rule that says you got to make time for people to do this. So um, a good number of the people I've worked with have been solo entrepreneurs too. And so that's, that gives you a different, you actually are in control. And sometimes when you're, um, a solo entrepreneur, you are your own worst boss. <laughs> right. <laughs> you do stuff to yourself that you would just rage against. So I, I suggested that. And, um, and you know, it's like the, oh, you know, you don't need, you need to floss, right? You, you kind of just, it's a repetition and yeah. making opportunities to check in and be accountable. Hey, I, I, as a group, you know, I, I said I was going to do this. You check in and say, have I done it? Um, in, I'm trying to think about, um, somebody I'm working with right now, um, I would say, I would say some, it, it is pretty tough and you have to, you as the consultant have to fight your way in to remind people that we need to make progress. Yeah. We said we wanted to do this. We need to check in. We're not going to meet our goal of of, you know, of this experiment by the end of April. That's one example I have right now. We need to have these parts of the experiment and here's what you still owe me. Um, um, and then will it stick? It's hard. It's hard unless, so that's where you have to hope that you have champions. If, you know, if you get to the end of the engagement, you have to hope you have those champions on team. Um, kind of as a, as a parting thing, I was curious, what do people, so having, having sort of moved up the ranks in editorial and management, what, how do your friends and family react to this new thing? When you tell, how do people react to when you tell people, friends, family, or strangers, I'm a creativity consultant, or do you never do it that way? Do you always have like a two, one or two sentence elevator pitch, or do you just, I'm a creativity consultant and see what they do with that? Yeah. So I usually, I, I, I put my title out there for LinkedIn and for my, for the rest of my life, I say, Hey, I run a business helping people connect the, you know, the strategy and the innovation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that's all yeah. I really need. Right. And my, my, I don't know. I think most of my life, there's been probably a small understanding of the little pieces of what I've done in my work life, but really, I mean, I'm going to give an example, like all of Moira's dance friends know, uh, uh, my daughter's dance friends, they know yeah. that I left my, you know, full-time job where they probably didn't know what I did, but right. I left a full-time job and I went and started something else. No idea what it is. Right. They'll very nicely ask, but you know, a lot of times we don't like, unless you're somebody where you out there in the world where we have an association, a connection with you, like, Oh, Oh, you're a doctor. I understand what you do. You're a dentist. You're a nurse. You're a lawyer, uh, your dance teacher, you know, where you see it, you probably, it's <laughs> the actual doing is very different. Yeah, I have, I don't think, I don't think journalist and writer is that weird. And that's what I spent most of my career doing. And I think when people ask each other what they do, I think they're more, they're really asking less, usually only in rare cases, can someone snap into that and wants to ask follow-up questions and go deeper. Usually I think they're asking, are you okay? Are you employed? 
Do you like what you do? When you tell them what you do, it doesn't sound very complicated to you, but it, whatever, it's almost like they just don't have anything to say to that. You're like, I would be very interested, but then maybe that's why you and I were journalists and other people were not. I don't know. I think that's exactly right. I think, you know, uh, and I, I've, I've sat around and quizzed for dance friends. What do you do? I don't want, I want to understand it. Yes. Just because you sit around and talk with these people all the time and have no idea about probably one of the biggest things they do. Yeah. Um, but, but for the most part, yeah, you have most people who just basically want to understand that you, they, they just want a picture in their head of like you going to an office or you going to, um, and then that's probably enough, right? Uh, you're actually right. I, I hadn't thought about that too, but especially now with the work from home stuff, I think you're right. A lot of times they're just trying to create a picture in their head of, do you go to an office or not? Do you have a boss or not? Do you work all the time or do you not work all the time? Yeah. As opposed to well, who is your customer and what are they like and how does what you do help them? Like, yeah, that's usually not the topic of conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And and if you look at me from this year to la- last year, um, what I do probably from an external, just looking here probably doesn't look that different. Right. Is there anything, do you have any closing thing you want to tell people about um, creativity? So I, I can imagine some people who listen to this uh, run companies and some people don't creativity in general, because you have always been outside of how creative your job was or was not at any moment. And whether you had the opportunity to kind of come up with new ideas and test them, you were kind of always doing that in your personal life for people that feel like they don't have enough creativity. I don't know. Does anybody ever go hear your creativity and consultant? I wish, I wish I did more of this, or I wish I did more of that, or maybe they don't. I don't know. Do you have advice for people who think, you know what, creativity, there's something about that alluring. And I feel like I don't have enough of that in my life. Totally. And you can get completely tapped out. And I, I do believe um, <clears throat> I'm going to, I'm speaking about this later this year about how to reset your creative will, yeah. but, and everybody's different. And that's, that's part of what the talk is about, but you do need to identify for me, it was feeling like I spent all my days on zoom meetings, not getting to make or do anything. Right. Yeah. And like all day and then all night. And then where does the creativity happen? Well, I, and also uh, I believe you can, for me, it's very environmental. So um, being trapped in a, you know, an, an office all day with no sunshine, yeah. with no, no, no opportunity to go color on the wall or, you know, just, just getting very limited down. So I would say one of the first things you can do is just start to identify. Um, I remember taking a walk uh, about eight weeks ago and I remember just hit, like walking and having just this complete moment of like, I just felt so happy. I was just like joy. And I thought, I wonder what made this. Why do I feel this way? If I could ever just bottle this, <laughs> like, why can't I just hold on to this? And I think it's the same thing is if you can identify the places and times you have felt creative, maybe you can create that environment for you. Cause it's not going to be the same things for everybody. And I have a lot of um, uh, kind of, I call them brain break type tools that I use to try to help people reset. But I guess my best piece of advice is um, getting up and walking around. I think, when I worked in an office, one of my big tricks is like, I would just feel like when I felt the mental fog, I'd print something. So I could walk to the printer and take a walk around the office. Yeah. And it was, it was just, I have to get out of my headspace. And um, so I, if, if you can identify what, where you feel creative and happy and maybe try to make more of that in your life. <laughs> 